Let us hear God's word from Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thanks, Stephanie. Merry Christmas. In 1973, David Roper said in a sermon, Our three-year-old is afraid of Santa Claus. (laughs) His mother continues to assure him that Santa Claus is no great threat. I overheard a conversation the other day in which she told him he did not need to worry about Santa Claus because he isn't a real person. He represents mom and dad's love. And anyway, Christmas is a time when we think back to the birth of Jesus. Our son said, Yes, Jesus will save me from Santa Claus. (laughs) Don't you feel that way sometimes? Don't you feel like you need Jesus to save you from Santa Claus? This Christmas season that's so full of stress, pressure to buy the right gifts, the traffic, the dysfunction in relationships, trying to bring harmony among family and friends. It's just a tough time and it awakens in us this reminder of how much we really long for true peace. We talk about it a lot at this season, right? The angels proclaim peace on earth, goodwill to men. And yet there's a part of us that says, where is that peace that was proclaimed that day? It seems so elusive It's hard to find. No one seems to know where it is. (laughs) When I googled finding peace, I came up with mainly websites that dealt with trying to somehow manipulate your thinking so you'll somehow feel peaceful, I guess. This one article said nine ways to find peace of mind, and it says one way is to cut off negativity in the mind by saying to yourself over and over again, whatever happens in my life, I'll handle it. I suggest you emblazon this powerful affirmation on your mind. If you say it often enough, you'll ultimately believe it. And if you really believe that you can handle anything that happens in your life and in the world, what could you possibly have to fear? Nothing. What a bunch of gobbledygook, huh? If you just say it, somehow it happens. Another 
website said, embrace the thought, it's all happening perfectly. So ignore what's really happening, but just think it's all happening perfectly. At zenhabits.com, it said, peace comes from expecting things to go wrong. So you're never disappointed. (laughs) That sounds like real peace, huh? Teachers like Deepak Chopra claim to offer peace, but it all rings so hollow. I don't know about you, but I want a, I want a real peace. <laughs> I want true peace, peace on earth and peace in my heart as well, a peace that can truly last in a world that is messy and mostly controlled by fear. Fear of economic downturn, fear of job loss, fear of terrorism, fear of government surveillance, fear of random shootings, fear of rejection, fear of divorce, fear of our children making bad choices, fear of death, and the big one, fear of Santa. (laughs) See, we need to find true peace in such a world as we really live in, not as we pretend it to be. And the answer really is Jesus. I mean, Jesus will save us from Santa and from ourselves. But the question is, what what peace are we really longing for? What do our hearts ache for? What does that look like? And how do we get it in the midst of this world? Well, God tells us in this marvelous prophecy that we're looking at this morning from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. This prophecy was given over 700 years before Jesus was even born. And interesting, the whole prophecy, you may note, is in the past tense. When God declares something, it's as good as done. It happens. It's real. And he tells us in this prophecy what kind of peace we're longing for and then how to get it. So we can find that kind of peace in this crazy, messed up, real world in which we live. Pray with me. Lord, we long for peace, real peace. A peace that will sustain us and last through the ups and downs of life. And a peace that promises that even in this world, there can be peace. True peace wholeness, completeness. So we long for that, Lord. May your spirit lead us into this passage in a way that brings us the kind of peace we long for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what kind of peace do we actually long for? Well, verses 2 through 5 help us understand the longings of our own hearts. Verse 2, he says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Uh, One characteristic of of what we long for, of, of the kind of peace we really long for, is light. It's light. It says, upon those walking in darkness and dwelling in darkness, a light has shone. Think about walking in darkness. What's that like? (laughs) You always get hurt, right? 
Adrienne has worked a lot on this stage, and one day she was setting some things up, but the lights were off, but she knew where she was going. She'd been there many times. She fell, hit her head, got a concussion. Uh, We've all stumbled in the dark because no matter how familiar you are with a place, darkness blinds you. Darkness keeps you from getting where you need to be. You end up being hurt. But what kind of darkness is he talking about? Well, he tells us at the end of chapter 8, very clearly, I'm beginning in verse 19, I want to read to the end of chapter 8 in Isaiah. He says, When they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They're in the darkness. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. What a powerful description of our world today, isn't it? He describes darkness comes when we say, you know, God, I don't really want to listen to you. I won't look to you for truth and light. I will find my own way, so we look to other things. And when we begin to turn away from God, the darkness begins to descend. And he describes this progression of the darkness taking over our lives. As the darkness comes and we become dark morally, where we can't make good choices morally anymore. We can't see right from wrong. We can't make the choice we need to. We enter the darkness Spiritually as well, where we we can't see God, we can't understand reality. It envelops us. We become dark mentally where we, we don't really see what's going on. We don't understand ourselves. We don't understand God. We don't understand the world around us. So the darkness makes us more and more needy, it says, and there's distress and brokenness. Then he says we end up in anger. Anger at the authorities around us. And ultimately angry at God because of the darkness that we have brought upon ourselves. And he ends with this dark picture of darkness, anguish of heart, where we're pushed into increasing darkness and we cannot help ourselves. What a description of our world today. The darkness that envelopes us as a world because we're confused and we want peace. We want light, we want life, but no matter how much you look up something on the Internet or try to figure out life, you can't because our minds are darkened. And it all began with rejecting God's Word, His revelation to us. But what Isaiah prophesies is in the midst of such darkness, a light comes, a light dawns, and it's a great light and it dawns. This is no flashlight, folks. When Jesus entered the world, it, it was the dawning of a new day where the light gets gradually brighter and brighter and brings light to everything so you can begin to see reality, begin to see truth. It's this light coming and dawning to show us the way. My family and I with some friends were backpacking one day in the Seven Devils and 
We started off and it was a foggy day. Couldn't really see anything, but we'd gone this way many times. We knew where to go. So we just took off. We didn't quite find the path, but we thought we were okay. And gradually we began to realize something wasn't right. And then this thick fog that was like darkness just parted for a moment and we began to see where we were. And we realized we'd gone 90 degrees off course. We had to go all the way back to the beginning and start over. But that's the darkness we walk in. But, but the light that Jesus brings parts that darkness so we can begin to see the reality of life. It shows us the reality of things around us so that we can understand ourselves, understand who God is, understand what's really going on in people's lives around us. It says in verse 2 that those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, uh, the Hebrew word there is a combination of two words, shadow and death. That deep darkness is the shadow of death. You see, part of living in darkness is you have a terror of death. You don't know what's ahead. You don't know what's coming. There's a fear of death hanging over us. Peace comes, you see, when the light dawns and you realize, I don't have to fear death. My, my life is securely in the hands of the one who loves me and who has conquered death. And therefore, I can live in the light and live in the freedom because my life is in his hands. See, true peace does not come by pretending everything's okay. (laughs) By just saying it over and over again, maybe it'll be all right. True peace comes from really understanding reality, seeing life as it is, and that comes only through the revelation of Jesus, who came into the world to enlighten all men. He is the light of the world. Life is confusing. What's the right choice to make? How, how do I love my family better? How do I deal with the situation at work? How do I deal with my own heart and my own struggles? The answer to that is, is not reading more books, understanding this or that better. It's coming closer to Jesus because Jesus is the light of the world and the closer we come to him, the more the light dawns in our hearts, and in our lives. So one quality that we long for, I long for, I think we all long for, of peace is light. Secondly, I think we long for joy, a real joy. That's where he goes in verse 3. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest, and they're glad as they are glad when they divide the spoil. See, we long for joy, don't we? We long for a deep joy that is able to know that everything ultimately will be okay. That my life really is in God's hands. That no matter how bad it may look now, God is working out His will. There's a bigger plan, and I am truly in His hands. You see, that's a deeper joy than mere happiness. The world tells us, You know, joy comes from circumstances getting better. But that is not true joy. Joy is much deeper than that. What does real joy look like? I like the three descriptions he gives of joy in this little verse here. 
He says you've multiplied the nation. He's talking about real fruitfulness, right? Where my life is expanding. It's becoming more and more fruitful. Then he says it's, it's like when you have a celebration at the end of harvest. That time when you've worked really hard and then finally the harvest is in and now we get to enjoy the fruits of that tremendous work that we put in. What a satisfaction, he describes. That's, that's a deep joy. And then the thirdly, he describes, uh, it's the kind of joy you have when you divide the spoils. What's he mean? It's after a huge war, a battle, and you have won. And now you get to enjoy all the fruits of that, all the spoils of that. Well, so what's this joy he's talking about? It's a fruitfulness in life. It's a satisfaction in life where you know that your life really counts. It really matters. world says joy is either dependent on circumstances changing or on somehow pretending it's okay. But that's not true lasting joy. You see, real joy comes from when you know your life counts. You're living for eternal things that really, really matter. I'm doing what I was created to do. I'm learning to love God and love others. That is real joy, deep joy. And that's what this little baby that was born on Christmas brings us. So true peace takes light, takes authentic joy, and then the final word is freedom. True peace takes real freedom. You see, Isaiah has prophesied that Israel, the nation, because they're living in darkness, they've chosen darkness, they've walked away from God, they are going into captivity. They will be oppressed. They will be under the control of the Babylonians. That's been what Isaiah has talked about up to this point. But now he says, but a time is coming through this baby who came where there will be real freedom. He says this in verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah says a day is coming when there will be no more oppression. No more battles, no more war. Your burdens will be broken and taken away. The yoke on your shoulders will be broken. And, and I love this picture where he says even, even the, the uniforms used in war, the clothing used for war will be thrown into the fire and burned up. You see, that's real peace, right? That's real freedom. Because normally in this world, well, if you have any kind of peace, it's, it's temporary. And you may negotiate a peace for a while, or you may win a war. But you're going to keep your weapons at hand and your uniforms at hand because you know <laughs> war is coming again. But what Isaiah is prophesying is a kind of peace where there is no more need for any of that. An absolute peace. You see, that's true freedom. Recently, we lost one of the great statesmen this world has seen, Nelson Mandela. He was really an amazing man who, as president of South Africa, brought 
together that nation that was divided by apartheid. People could not get along, and he brought a peace and a unity that was pretty amazing. But he's gone. (laughs) And what we realize now is how tenuous that peace was, and there's many who fear that South Africa is a cauldron just about ready to explode. You see, even Nelson Mandela, as great a man as he was, couldn't bring a true, lasting peace, the kind we long for, real freedom. You see, we long for more. We long for an end to struggle, an end to struggle with our burdens, the burden of sin, the burden of our own addictions, the battles we face with oppression and hate and evil in our world, of broken relationships, we're burdened with monetary problems, with debt, with depression, by health issues. There's so many things that we battle in life. And Isaiah says, only through this child who was born can we find the kind of freedom that we long for, where even the clothes used in the battle are thrown away, (laughs) burned up, gotten rid of. See, on a personal basis, we long for real peace, right? A peace where it really impacts our mind. We have light. We can see reality. We long long for a peace that impacts our hearts, where there's real joy. We long for a peace that impacts our wills, where we can choose right. We are free from those sins and things that tie us down and hold us back. But we also long for a peace that impacts our whole world, where evil is destroyed and the king reigns and the world is whole and right and true and filled with light and joy and freedom. We long for both inner and outer peace. So how do we get it? Do we negotiate? Meditate? (laughs) Sleep late? Do we kill everyone who's evil? I'm afraid none of us would be left. (laughs) That wouldn't work. No, see, there's no way we can bring it about at all, right? Uh, Mankind doesn't have the tools it needs to bring about peace. It's in a person, the Prince of Peace himself. And so that's where Isaiah goes now to tell us where to find peace, verses 6 and 7, where he says, For, you want peace? Here it is. To us a child is born. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God chose to intervene in the darkness, to bring light. But it's amazing to me that God, when he showed up on earth, did not show up in a fireball to suddenly bring light, but he showed up as a tiny baby, a little baby who's fully human. The light of the world came in a bundle of joy, born into poverty in a little town, in a backwards country, in an oppressed nation. So we would know, we would know that we can know Him and that He can know us because every one of us came to earth in the same way, right? As a little baby. He came so He would fully relate to us as we are. 
this amazing light of the world came fully human. He's one of us. Came as a baby. And then there's four names that's given to describe him. His name shall be called. And the name means this is him. This is a description of who he is. He is wonderful counselor. He's all-knowing. You and I struggle for understanding reality. We need light. We need understanding of who we are and, and how to live and who God is and how we relate to Him and how we relate to a broken world around us. It's by coming to Him that we get the light because He is the light. He is the wonderful counselor who's all-knowing. He has amazing insight. He made you. He made me. He made the world. He understands how it's meant to function. Come to the wonderful counselor, Isaiah encourages us. How do I learn not to stumble in the dark and not make bad choices? Get closer to Jesus. That's the only way, folks. Get closer to Jesus. He's the wonderful counselor, the wisdom from God. And then Isaiah says, not only is he the wonderful counselor, but he is mighty God. This amazing human baby is also fully divine and therefore he is all powerful. It doesn't matter what you're facing in your life. He is powerful enough to deal with it. He is powerful enough to deal with this evil world in which we live. He is capable I watched a video not long ago and it described the Hubble telescope. A scientist was talking and he said they decided to put the Hubble telescope on a spot in the sky, night sky, where it's just a dark spot. You, you can't see anything with the eye or a normal telescope. And they wanted to see what in that tiny dark spot they could find. And as they trained the Hubble telescope there, what they discovered was 10,000, not stars, galaxies. 10,000 galaxies each with millions of stars. Now imagine the power of a God who created all that and we're told knows every star by name. That power was all infused in this tiny baby that was born and cried like the baby in the back. He was fully divine. He's capable. This baby that was born carries all the power of the creator of the universe. He can free you from the things that bind you as you get closer to him. That's the secret of experiencing peace then, is putting yourself in his hands, in his power, in his control. This mighty God who was born as a baby, he can free you from your addictions and your oppressors as you get close to him. The third name that's given to this baby by Isaiah is Everlasting Father. Now, this isn't a description of the Trinity. It's saying that this baby, this Jesus, this King, this one who's coming, is the perfect Father. He's all-loving. He loves us as the Father we need. He's a Father who's everlasting, who will never, ever, ever let you down. 
Every one of us in this room has been let down by our earthly fathers to some degree. They were perhaps very poor representations of Jesus. But he's the true father. He's the one who loves us perfectly and will never let us down. And therefore, we can find security in life no matter how our earthly fathers treated us. We can find life in him because he loves us perfectly and he is everlasting and faithful and worthy of our trust. Coming to him brings us a real peace, the peace we long for. And then finally, he is called the Prince of Peace himself. He is all healing. He is the one who reigns over shalom. This word peace that's used throughout this passage is the Hebrew word shalom. And you may know that 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 word shalom means far more than just kind of an inner peace or calmness around you in circumstances. It's it's an all-encompassing word that has to do with a sense of complete well-being, completeness, wholeness. It's what we all deeply, deeply long for. Wholeness, light, joy, freedom are under His command because He is the Prince, the ruler over Shalom. The only place to find real wholeness in your life is by being rightly related to the Prince of Peace. See, when Jesus came and lived and died on the cross and rose again, He established a kingdom, the kingdom of God, and that kingdom has already begun. It's here. And it will last into eternity. Listen to how he describes it in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of shalom, of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, will do this. This kingdom he established is increasing by the minute. Every time a heart submits to him, every time someone gives their life to him, it's like a kingdom, it's like a seedling that's planted and that tree gets bigger and bigger and it continues to grow. He says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. It's already happened and it's already here, but it will continue to increase. So what does Isaiah tell us that true peace and shalom looks like? Light, joy, and real freedom. And those are all the things we all deep down long for. I long for it. I think you do too. So how do we get that kind of peace, a peace that will last forever through the mess of life? It's pretty simple. Submit to the king. Kneel at the manger. Be willing to acknowledge who Jesus is as Lord and Savior. This baby who came and bow to him. Bow to the manger. Be like the shepherds who came and were willing to bow before him. Be like the wise men who acknowledged that he truly was the answer to all that our hearts long for and all that this world needs to be made right. And then out of that become what we were created to be, lights in this world, bearers of joy. 
those proclaiming freedom in a world that's overwhelmed by the darkness, stumbling in darkness. So this Christmas, let's really let Jesus save us from Santa, shall we? Let's celebrate Jesus. Let's celebrate the story of his coming as a baby. What a wonderful story. But more than that, let's submit, let's kneel, let's bow to him whose government is on his shoulders. Let's kneel before the Prince of Peace who came to bring us what we deeply long for, light, joy, and freedom. That, my friends, is true, true peace. Let's pray. Lord, what a marvelous gift, the greatest gift. In this season where we give gifts to one another, we thank you, we praise you, and we bow before you as the one who sent the greatest gift of all, this child who came, who was born to give us true shalom, true peace, light, joy, and freedom in him. May we this season draw close to him and experience the peace you want us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.